So the big question is this. How can runners like you, who aren't professional athletes or paid sponsored runners, avoid injury and increase athletic performance to enjoy running race events for the rest of your life without wasting money on trends or using dangerous painkiller drugs? That is the question. And on hashtag Run Pain Free Podcast, your host, sports biomechanics, athletic injury correction, and conditioning expert, Jessica Marie Rose Leggio, gives you the answers. Thank you, Scott, for joining us for the Run Pain Free Marathon Training Summit. I appreciate you being here. We have Scott Douglas, everybody. Welcome. Hello. And Scott Douglas wrote the Athlete's Guide to CBD. I'm going to show it with all my all my notes in here. This is the book we're kind of referencing today, but he has done a lot, and I'm going to give a little background to Scott right now. Scott Douglas is a contributing writer for Runner's World and an author or co-author of several books, including Running is My Therapy, Advanced Marathoning, Med for Mortals, and The Athlete's Guide to CBD. The two books Scott wrote, wrote with Meb made the New York Times bestseller list. He has also been published in The Washington Post, The Atlantic, and Slate. A lifelong runner, Scott lives in South Portland, Maine, to where he is calling us from today. Yes. We are really excited to speak with you, and I'm going to get right into it. I want to first acknowledge and commend you on how you approach this book as, hey, we're just having a workout conversation, and it really unloads the entire really controversial subject that you talk about, and it's a really an educational yeah. information base, and I, I, I truly appreciate that as a, being a someone who, who always talks about controversial stuff. I appreciate the approach of being super approachable and I, I really love that and I want to remove false beliefs about the misinformation and ignorance that lies within the subject of CBD and give athletes specifically information they can make better informed decisions on and I think this book exactly does that so thank you for that yeah uh, I want to get into first the CBD versus THC difference right. could you briefly explain that to give our runners a basis of the difference of the two Sure. Uh, the, the easiest way to understand it is that um, both are compounds that are found in the cannabis plant. And basically, by definition, a cannabis plant that has no more than 0.3% THC is considered hemp. And a cannabis plant that has more than that amount of THC in it is considered marijuana. THC is the is a, a shorthand for the, the, the um, component of cannabis that produces the marijuana high. CBD is one of more than a hundred other substances found in the cannabis plant that um, does not produce a high, but as we'll get into, is thought to have many um, beneficial aspects for the body, but it does not get you high. And so, a lot of people, even people who I consider pretty knowledgeable about, you know, the life in general and things like that, and 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 even after the past couple of years with all the attention on CBD, uh, I'm still surprised by the number of people who think, you know, like just like, oh man, dude, CBD, like, you know, this <laughs> sort of automatically revert to stoner language and all that sort of stuff. So, so THC is the stuff that gets you high. CBD is another component in the cannabis plant that um, I and many other people think probably has some um, health benefits, body body wide health benefits, but that does not produce a subjective high. 
I, I wish it did, but it doesn't. Um, <laughs> but but um, that, that's the basic difference. Perfect, and the great way to set the tone. That's exactly what is the biggest mis misconception, in my opinion, from what I have heard. So thank you for breaking that down. Um, yeah. You've been a runner since 1979. Well done, that's sir. Correct. Yes. Uh, so you. you've heard of all of the training fads and the apparatuses and uh, do you yeah. feel as runner, in, as specific with runners, because I know you've worked with tons of athletes, do you feel runners are progressive thinkers regarding training ideas and, and forward thinking in terms of uh, different types of being open-minded to different types of training? I think the smart runners are open-minded um, just like in life in general, it's always good to be open-minded rather than set in one's ways. Um, I think the smart, smartest runners combine that open-mindedness with um, sort of a built-in skepticism because as you said, there have been so many things. Every three months, there's the new thing that is, you know, the secret, the key. And, um, you know, so in my case, I've been running for more than 40 years and most of those things that have been presented as here's the secret or here you know this thing is going to revolutionize your running most of them don't you know otherwise everybody would have been doing it 30 years ago and everybody who started 30 years ago would still be doing it and most people aren't you know like when i okay so like when i started running um you know bee pollen was an example of something that was going to you know revolutionize your running and your health and all this sort of stuff. And, and I dutifully took bee pollen, you know, I was an impressionable high school runner. And, um, you know, I haven't taken bee pollen since, you know, Ronald Reagan was president. Um, <laughs> because it just, you know, I, I didn't see that it helped me. Um, so most of the things that come along, you sort of people, you, you know, you might try, and that's where the open minded part comes in. But you sort of try them with a skepticism like, is this really doing anything? And um, most of them then the skepticism rightfully wins out. And, and you know, you don't keep doing this supposed key thing. Um, so I think the smartest runners, especially those who, um, I'm not, I don't wanna hold myself up as a, uh, an exemplar of great running, but um, you know, I still really love running and I'm able to do it at the amount I want after 41 years. Um, I think people who sort of last in in that capacity with you know not a whole lot of injury and stuff combine the two pretty well of like yeah maybe this works you know um maybe probably doesn't <laughs> for most things but it's <laughs> worth keeping an open mind you know yeah. um i have a, i have a fr it's interesting like i have a friend who you know we ran together in high school and um he in high school and you know this is brilliant in in hindsight um you know because running gear wasn't very good in you know say 1980 mm. um he would wear like his mom's nylons as like you know like pre-tights sort of wow. thing and um okay. you know obviously obviously that wasn't like there's been advances but it was like that was pretty smart yeah, yeah. And it's funny because now like, he's like now he's like oh compression gear you know what a bunch of nonsense and I'm like, well, so first of all, there is some, you know, there's some research validating, you know, some uses of compression gear, which is kind of weird that he was so open-minded at one point and now it's sort of like, ah, none of this new stuff is, you know, is a, you know, it's a bunch of junk. So I think, 
uh, again, the, the sort of the combination of being open-minded and having that at all times sort of informed from the other side by sort of a natural skepticism um, can help people sort of navigate claims and, and, and um, you know, what's, what is worth trying and what's not. Great answer. I appreciate that. And I think that's amazing. He chose to use the nylons. That's so forward thinking. Because <laughs> back yeah. in the 80s, they were very thick. So I mean, it was very much, yeah, I mean, that's, it could lend to compression. I agree with that. <laughs> um, so as you are a respected runner, I know you tone it down a lot, but you are a respected runner. So I'm sure the story about how you decided to bring CBD into your training regimen in 2018 would help sure. all levels. Could you explain or talk about that moment for you? Sure. So, um, you know, I had, I had in 2018, so roughly, roughly around this time in 2018, so like late spring, early summer, um, I had started to hear from mostly like via my wife's um, friends, um, you know, late 40s, early 50s women, mostly about their, you know, CBD for sleep. And at the time, it still had much more of that sort of association with stoners and all that sort of stuff than it does even two years later. Um, and I decided to see if um, CBD would help my sleep. Um, I've never been a great sleeper. I love sleeping, but I'm not very good at it, sort of like running. Um, and so I wanted to see if it would help. And so I decided to do an experiment on myself where I would just, I would change nothing in anything that I do, but I would take CBD every night um, before I went to bed and to see what would happen. And um, within a week, I started feeling like I was sleeping better um, within a couple weeks. Then, the, and, and so let me back up. I started to feel like I was sleeping better. And I mean, from a runner standpoint, um, if you sleep better, you're probably gonna feel better you know, eventually most days when you're running, um, you know, elite athletes put a lot of thought into sleeping at a, a, a large amount <laughs> and also like, like trying to maximize good quality of sleep. Yeah. And so I started feeling that I was sleeping better after about a week, um, which if that's, just, if that's all that ever happened to me, I would probably keep doing it because I would always prefer to sleep better than not sleep better. Um, after about two weeks, I started feeling like I'm not as like just sort of low grade, creaky um, little bit, you know, when I get up. So I'm, I'm at the time I was 53, I'm now 55, you know, and so, you know, I'm not 25. Um, so after a couple of weeks, I started feeling like just sort of like, hey, I feel a little bit more like I used to. Um, uh, both sort of just sort of going around my day when I get up and um, sort of maybe like the first 10 or 15 minutes of a run, basically, like, you know, being able to go out the door, uh, you know, not have to old man into it as much, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but the really significant thing on a personal level for me was at the time, um, a couple of months before I had been shown via imaging to have a meniscus tear in my right knee. Um, and had been through a couple frustrating periods of not being able to run. Um, I was, was sort of back to running, but it wasn't, it was still always there, still always bothering me. And um, I had sort of resigned myself. Like if I know better by the end of that summer, I'll have surgery on it. 
And after about a month, I was like, hey, you know, I, I'm not feeling the tightness and discomfort and occasional pain from this meniscus tear as much as I have been. Um, and I, you know, it doesn't bother, I did not have surgery. Um, it doesn't bother me. Um, I've been running 65 to 70 miles a week, you know, for the past couple of years. Um, and I think that the important point to make in relation to CBD is, so this is an example of the idea of CBD allowing things to happen. Think of CBD maybe allowing things in your body to happen rather than CBD making things happen in your body. So CBD did not, you know, magically sew up my meniscus tear. I still have a meniscus tear. I think what happened in my case was it got the inflammation down enough that then I was able to do, you know, all the physical therapy stuff needed to, to um, sort of work around this, this one sort of acute injury. And so CBD sort of allowed me to do what would then be anybody's best advice for how to deal with that. And that is, you know, strengthen the area, all that sort of stuff. Um, and I think that's a really valuable concept in general when thinking about CBD. So I've had friends who like one, one friend, you know, his mom wanted to get off sleep medicine and, and, you know, so he's like, Oh, you know, try CBD and sort of like, you know, she knows me, she knows I'm not like a, you know, a fad person or something. And, and he's like, you know, Scott, Scott's, Scott thinks it works, you know, and for her, that was like, okay, I'll try it, you know? And, you know, two nights after her first two nights, she's like, oh, she didn't sleep as well. You know, she's still not sleeping well. And it's just, you know, that to me is this idea of thinking of CBD as like, you know, a magic bullet. Like it's right. not, it's not a sleeping pill. It's not, it's not a, you know, it's not a, it's not a cortisone shot, you know, it's something that, and we'll get into this, something that, you know, theoretically should sort of help your body, right. you know, reset at a, at a sort of comprehensive way to then allow you to uh, feel better and, and um, for your body to operate better. In, in, you know, in terms of sleep, you know, you could take CBD, but if you're then going to go in bed and read your phone for an hour before, before you... Right go to bed you're sort of you know you're totally. you know of course it's not going to work you know <laughs> yeah. um, but if you do if you use cbd in the context of sleep you know if you use cbd in conjunction with other good sleep practices in the case of my knee if i use cbd in conjunction with you know these other things that i needed to do to to sort of overcome and and get over this this acute knee injury then I think it's a, you know, it's, it's sort of like a tool yes. among the many other tools that we always have to use. Agreed. Uh, so that's a long answer, but, um, but, but, you know, that for me, like, wow, this, this, this allowed me to like get over this initial right. hump of inflammation. Um, I mean, I could see the swelling go down over time. Um, and then, you know, and then sort of get back to how I wanted to be. Um, no, I think by doing by using CBD in combination with other things, you know, other good practices. Right. Yeah. Uh, which it brings me right into the next question. And I'm just going to go right into it because it piggybacks. Um, 
I love that I'm about to talk about something that according to your book, only a few medical uh, colleges actually teach. And that is about the endocannabinoid system. Um, And this is something very specific to what you're talking about. It's It's something that's already in our bodies. And right. it does, can you explain how this actually refers to the runner's high in that chemical standpoint within us? Okay, um, so um, the endocannabinoid system was sort of discovered in a backwards way, basically, because people were looking for like, well, why do you get hot? Like, why does marijuana get you hot? Right. And so the scientists went looking for what, you know, what happens. And they found these cells in the body that the, the THC that we talked about earlier, the THC in marijuana seems to bind to, like connect to these cells. And um, so those were termed endocannabinoid receptors. So cannabinoid would be like the scientific uh, adjective for cannabis, the cannabis plant. And endo means within. So endocannabinoid is basically, you know, the cannabinoid thing within your body. So, so these receptors were found. Um, and so then the logical question is like, well, why, why would there be these receptors? Why would there be these receptors unless your body also, um, you know, had its own sort of source of this stuff? And that's where the endo part comes in. So it turns out then they discovered that there are you know, your body produces a couple different types of cannabinoids um, that that bind to these cells that are throughout our body. Um, so the connection with a runner's high is that it's been fairly, you know, pretty well documented, very well documented, that um, during aerobic exercise, um, your body releases um, higher levels of endocannabinoids. And these are generally um, thought to have two uh, properties sort of interrelated. One is that sort of feeling of euphoria that on a good day we all experience when, you know, when running. Um, and second is, and, and so the, the, the thought from an evolutionary standpoint is that, you know, if you buy into the, we were we evolved to run because of being for hunting. Then the the idea was that you know the body was making uh, this necessary pursuit more pleasurable, so that then there was an incentive to keep doing it rather than then ah, I'm never going to catch that gazelle, you know, and I'll turn <laughs> back and go home. Um, and related to that would be that they, you know, it's they're thought to have uh, the technical term be analgesic, so a, a pain-reducing, pain-relieving aspect, you know. So again, so that when you're out on this chase on the savanna, you know, 300,000 years ago, um, you sort of have less incentive to quit because you're not. It doesn't hurt as much. Um, so, so, so. The relation of CBD and and the runner's high is a little, you know, it's not direct. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, there's not, there's no research showing that like taking CBD before a run will then like help you get to that state of euphoria more. Um, but they are related in that, you know, your body produces these these compounds, the cannabinoids, CBD, THC are examples of external cannabinoids, sort of working on the same receptors in your body that that your 
that um, your body's own cannabinoids work on. Um, and, and basically the cannabinoid system uh, sort of works more when the body is, um, you know, under stress and we might not think of running as stress, but it, you know, it's not your body experiences it, although it's pleasurable, um, you know, it's still, you know, it's a stress in that your heart rate is elevated and your blood pressure is elevated, et cetera. So in that case, the, the endocannabinoid system sort of gets more active and is therefore um, sort of more uh, sponge-like when the, when, the, when the cannabinoids become available. Awesome. And I know that you, um, you, you spoke a little bit, there was a, a doctor in the book that you did uh, speak to about this specifically. And he says, you know, we don't necessarily need anything external, but CBD yeah. does literally help our normal functions, our key human functions process better, more efficiently. So it's right. just basically like helping along what we already do. And it totally lends right. the perception people have that it's, you know, the stoners, but it's like, we already have this. It's just something adding to it you know so it, it yeah right like like yeah like dog like so dogs have endocannabinoid dogs have an endocannabinoid system right and you know and and people give their pets people give their dogs um cbd yes. and 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 with some pretty in some cases you know strong results um and it's more likely that this would be sort of a, a leads to B result because the dog isn't thinking like, oh, I paid three, you know, I paid $70 for this tincture. It better damn work. You know, the dog <laughs> just experiences the, the physical part of it, right? Um, so yeah, as, as you said, the, you know, sort of the thinking is like, well, why do, why would, if, we, if our bodies had this system, why would then there be this need for this external, and not only external, but, you know, not an expensive external product and um you know the answers i got when i asked people that was basically like you know our, our bodies if we go back to the idea that the endocannabinoid system sort of uh starts working harder when the body's under stress you know an argument could be made that modern life is a source of constant stress yeah, yeah. certainly you know certainly not how we evolved to live you know even though we've been living this way for you know, I don't know if you take the last hundred years, that's, you know, that's nothing in the right evolutionary scale of humans. So Totally. No, I, I appreciate that. Well-informed answer. Thank you for the correlation and very, very simply stated, which everybody needs to understand these things. So I appreciate that. Um, on the opposite end, I actually have a good amount of runners who speak quite negatively against CBD. Uh, completely mm -hmm. assuming it is the same as THC, adding that they say, oh, people that say it's for medicinal purposes, it's just an excuse. What do you say to those athletes or people with all of this research you've done about CBD in that negative aspect that people talk about it? What do you mean excuse? I've had people say that they're that they don't believe that they're that it's true that it has medicinal purposes and that people that say that's why they're taking CBD it's actually an excuse to just to take CBD because they assume it's the same as THC. Uh, uh, yeah, um, I guess if I were to talk to somebody who thinks that way, I would go back to what we talked about at the beginning, right? right? And and make the initial distinction between the two, and so. If you're saying they're doing it just to get high, well, they're 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 wasting their money because <laughs> it's not <laughs> going to get them high. Um, 
So yeah, uh, I guess I would try to start back with the, the beginning of the educational part, you know? Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Talk about the difference and then, and then, you know, and then they can still be skeptical that it, that CBD works in the way that, you know, some people think it does, but that's a whole other topic, okay. you know? Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate it. And like, like, as you said, those, those people who are actually quite educated people who have, I've come across that have this very strong opinion that it's, oh, it's just the same. So to lend to what you started talking about earlier, it's like, you know, some people are quite educated and still have this very narrow-minded vision of what CBD is because there's just some, yeah. such an amount of misinformation out there. So I appreciate it being yeah. that simply stated. Um, so in your book, you yeah. really break down the FDA process, the approval process. And I really appreciate that because so many people don't understand that aspect of things getting approved, to say it simply. And at the end of the day, it is about business. And you did talk about how a product of nature cannot be patented, only in which the way that it is uh, handled or, or put together, if you will. Do you think that mm -hmm. that's why more research has not been given to CBD and from a federal standpoint, why it hasn't been approved? Yeah, so there's a lot of reasons why there's not the research that certainly I wish there were, or the, you know, and a lot of people who, who, a lot of people wish there were. Um, one is that up until the passage of the 2018 Farm Bill, hemp was still classified as, you know, uh, in the same category as marijuana. So, um, there, I mean, there were workarounds on research, but there just wasn't, you know, there could be other things to research where you wouldn't have to worry about any sort of federal illegality. So that part is gone, but that's, again, that was only less than two years ago that, that you know, industrial hemp, as we said at the beginning with this 0.3% or less of THC, um, is now not considered to be the same as marijuana. Um, you mentioned money, and I think one of the biggest reasons for the lack of, of, of you know, sort of CBD research is, as you said, um, you know, so the CBD molecule, because it exists in nature, is is can't be patented. So there is one there is one patent um, through the through the FDA for CBD product, um, Epidolic, Epidolix. I'm probably mispronouncing it, but um, you know, it's it's a form of medicine approved by the FDA for a couple rare forms of, of epilepsy. And what was patented in that case was sort of the method of preparing the actual medicine. But if I'm if I'm uh, the owner of sort of a typical CBD company, um, even if I had the millions of dollars to do um, a, a, a large scale clinical study, um, I would then be um, basically then helping my competitors because what what would be found would be the cbd it couldn't you know this brand of cbd um you couldn't say you couldn't say well it's only it only applies to our brand right, right? and so my five you know my hundreds of competitors could say hey thanks for funding the research you know <laughs> that we can now use in our marketing um so that's one thing i mean and 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 again most of these places most of these brands are, are pretty small and don't have millions of dollars to do a sure. multi-year clinical study. Um, 
there are lots of studies that are being done on CBD, not by brands, but you know, in, in, in medical labs. You can go on the National Institutes of Health website and, and you know, see what studies are in process. And most um, have to do with like specific disease states, similar to the, the, the rare form of epilepsy for which, for which there is the one drug. And I think that's for two main reasons. Um, one is there's, you know, it's more important whether <laughs> it's more important to stop childhood epilepsy than to, you know, help my knees feel a little less creaky, right? I mean, there's more of a public health right. interest in the in the one than the other. And second, and related, is that something like epilepsy or um, Parkinson's is, is like a big area of, of research. You know, Parkinson's tremors that's very easy to quantify, right? So my, you know, you could say we had these people, they went on average from having 20 epileptic seizures a day to four. Right. That's a, that's, that one variable is very easy to sort of, oh, okay, there might be something here. It's really hard in sort of classic science research to say, you know, I don't feel as beat up as I used to. You know, right, right. Um, so so it's the things that most athletes are going to care about um, are really hard to research, um, you know, sort of in a clinical setting. And that's true independent of CBD, right? Um, you know, there's there's no research, for example, you know, proving that stretching has X, Y, Z benefits. And because you just can't, you can't set up, it's really hard to set up a, a good study that that would do that would look at that you know to okay. isolate this one variable um to me that's all this stuff isn't necessarily a deal breaker um in the same way that you know there are no studies that um you know stretching you know for five minutes or ten minutes after most of your runs will probably make you feel better when you start running the following day, there's no studies in it, but most, you know, a lot of people have sort of settled on that realization on their own. Mm -hmm. And so there's lots of things that as athletes we do that you'd be hard pressed to say, oh, here's the clinical research showing it. Right. But, you know, we, through this trial and error, we sort of pick up these best practices that, you know, that seem to help. And that's, that's why for me, I'm not terribly concerned about the current lack of research on athletic aspects of CBD and the probable uh, lack of research three years from now on the, on the same type of things. I, I, I totally agree with that um, as a person. I, I love peer-reviewed uh, articles. I do yep. case studies myself all the time for those exact reasons because there's so many individualistic approaches that are taken specifically with athletes. And so I really do look at yep. it that way. So I appreciate that answer. And um, I'm sorry, can I back up one, one other thing sure. is that a lot of sports science research sort of looks at acute acute um, uses, right? So you could pretty, pretty easily, it's been done hundreds of times, you know, set up uh, a sports science um, trial concerning does this sport drink you know in, in, increase endurance, right? And you can give, you can have them come into the lab on one occasion and ride you know, for whatever, giving them the, uh, you know, a placebo that tastes the same. And on the other occasion, give them the, the sport drink with the carbohydrate and, you know, pretty easily show that in this one thing, but that's, you know, that's a lot different than here's this thing, you Feeling. know, 
you know, three months, um, you know, and that, that improved, you know. So, so like in the case of, of CBD research and sleep, um, I write about this in the book, there's one, you know, some of the, it's very expensive to do sleep research. So like, you know, you can do a study and have the people come in for one night and give them a placebo and one night, a different night, you give them CBD and like, oh, they didn't seem, seem to sleep better. But like, you know, no, I don't think any reasonable person would draw conclusions from what they did any one night concerning the quality of their sleep. Um, and so a lot of the things that we talk about that in which case, in, in the ways that CBD would be beneficial for athletes are much more sort of long-term mm-hmm. nebulous stuff that, you know, that's not going to be easy to study in a one-time setting in the lab. Agreed. Sorry. No, I yeah. know, no, I agree. I, I love the, the definitive, you're making very definitive answers here and I appreciate that. So I, I really do. It's the information is so, so imperative people to get. Um, Cause it leads me into my next, I don't know how, but you're going very well into my next question <laughs> again. Um, narrative versus skepticism. And again, you talked about having a healthy skepticism early on. You talk about it in the book. Um, it's very easy for one loud opinion to become a collective belief. It's very easy. How do you think an athlete can take in information under a healthy skepticism? Um, what is your experience prior to this research with athletes about with having that healthy skepticism and with the narrative that's like, oh, everybody thinks that I'm just going to join in and believe that because that's what I hear a lot about. Sure. Um, well, I would say, I mean, for CBD or anything, you know, um, look at who this, so, so who are the people saying this? What are their, what is, what are their qualifications? Do they seem reliable? Um, do they have a vested financial interest in saying it? Um, those, yeah, I'm, I mean, I guess that, that's, that's my approach to basically anything in running listening to others advice is always right. like, well, who, you know, who is saying this and what, what is their knowledge of base from which they're saying this knowledge of base, uh, base of knowledge and, and their experience, um, and versus, you know, yeah, sorry. Um, no, totally fine. I, I, look, look at you know who who is saying it. Um, how many of their peers are saying it? Um, you know, um, it's probably no coincidence that all top marathoners do regular long runs. You know, so you it's probably a re- <laughs> it's probably a reasonable conclusion that if I want to be a marathoner, I should probably do regular long runs. Long runs, um, right? These days, most top runners do some, you know, do a not inconsequential amount of non-running, you know, supplementary active uh, exercises. It's reasonable to think then that they probably aren't wasting, you know, they're probably not going to do the stuff that's going to make them tired unless, unless it's going to help them in some way. Um, versus, um, oh, I don't care. I, I'll be, uh, right. versus like a born to run guy. Okay. The born to run guy. Um, and excuse <laughs> me, if I'm attention, but, um, you know, there's a part in Born to Run where he goes and watches um, the Stanford cross-country team, you know, who are sponsored by Nike, um, do barefoot striders in the grass. And from that conclusion, he, you know, he draws from that experience of like, you know, this is like their revolt against Nike and they really want to be running barefoot, et cetera, et cetera. Um, 
when I when I first read that, I thought he doesn't know what he's talking about. So it could be in this case, he doesn't know. People have done barefoot striders on the grass for decades. decades. It's not a revolt against Nike or whatever. Um, so to me, I'm just using this as an example, but it's an easy example for me to think sure, of. Sure, sure. Um, um, that then let me think. He probably might not know a whole lot about other aspects of running, and so what he has to say might not be as relevant as if Matt Kleplesky said it, you know? Right. Um, so that's sort of, you know, that's always been my standard of like, what is, you know, what is, does this person know what she or he is talking about? Um, and if they say things that immediately make me think like, I, that doesn't sound right. <laughs> then I, then my, my inherent skepticism kicks in pretty quickly. Um, so, I would say for, for the average person, um, you know, if 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 you have two running friends and one is every month sort of saw, no, no, here's the here's the amazing new thing, um, and this month happens to be CBD, I would treat that with a lot more skepticism than um, if your other running friend is sort of a, you know, no snake oil. Um, you know, very sort of grounded person who says, you know, I tried this and it, I, for me, I think it seems to help. Um, right. I, I, I would, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't put all my trust in the second person, but I, me personally, I'd be more likely to listen to that second person. Got it. I love that. Thank you for that answer. And I love it. baseline source. What is the source? Where's it coming from? Yeah. And just take that second to think about it. I appreciate that so much. You're listening to the Run Pain-Free Podcast, brought to you by the Run Pain-Free Academy, featuring biomechanics, athletic injury correction, and conditioning expert, Jessica Marie Rose Leggio. Subscribe to us as you leave a positive review on iTunes.